Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, today's guest is a really widely recognized leadership expert today. And he is so because, uh, not just because of his 24 years of special operations experience, but Commander SEAL Commander Mark McGinnis has taken what he learned as a SEAL, what he learned in his corporate life, what he learned in his life in general, and now he applies those things, those lessons to the techniques in organizational leadership, leadership assessment, behavior, and really about high performance. And how can we, how can we learn from Commander Mark today? his life story, his experience as a SEAL commander, and then his experience in general and help you be a more high-performing leader, coach, parent, doesn't matter. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today. Uh, commander Mark McGinnis, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Now, one of the things we're going to get into at the end, I'm going to hold it to the end, because one of the things I love the most about you is you're also the founder and manager, managing director of the SEAL Legacy Foundation. We'll get into this later, but it's a nonprofit organization that aids families of wounded and fallen United States Navy SEALs, which is incredible. Um, and there's just so many things to your life and to what you're doing today to add value to people. Um, you're working with NBA, the NFL, PGA, LPGA, Fortune 500 companies. I mean, a lot of people are, are turning to you right now for direction and coaching. And so I'm going to try to extract out of you as much gold as I can for our audience in the limited time we have you. So is that fair? Absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So as uh, as I forewarned you in the pre-show, everybody that listens knows that uh, the very first question you get is, we want to hear that origin story, that 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 Commander Mark McGinnis, back before you were Commander Mark, yeah. you know, when you were just kind of peewee Mark trying to learn life uh, growing up uh, where you did and, and who, who had the... In- who had the biggest influence on you growing up and what were some of those stories that led you to the point where you said, Hey, I'm going to go to the Naval Academy and be a Navy SEAL. Tell us some of that origin story. So, um, you know, it all comes back to, I get this question all the time. You know, why, you know, what was it? You an adrenaline junkie, you know, war junkie. Did you just like the uniform with all the ribbons and the pen? Like, no, it, it goes back, Jeff, a very simple, uh, event. I got a piece of advice when I was six years old. And it was from my father, right? And it shaped the entirety of my life. Uh, my dad was on his hands and knees, hand staining the hardwood floors in our house. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but that's like back breaking work, right? And uh, I'm in the backyard having this great adventure and I wanna go share it with my dad, right? My best friend, I'm six years old and I come bounding across his freshly stained hardwood floors, right? And he he could have done what we call in the SEAL teams. He could have gone high and right, but in true dad fashion, he was real chill. He stood up, you know, and he's towering over me, dad, and big hands, big, big hands. And, and he points a finger in my face. And my dad didn't speak, but, you know, he few words, but he could pierce you to the core. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, hey boy, you're pretty dumb. So you better be really, really tough in life, right? So what he didn't know was he launched the career of a Navy SEAL right then and there. But, you know, um, true story, by the way. Uh, and, and then flash forward, um, 1988, 89, uh, my senior year of high school, I'm being recruited by uh, schools to play football. Um, and the Naval Academy was one of those schools. And Top Gun comes out. And I'm thinking, that's it. 
I'm flying jets. That's, that's where I'm going. And while I was at the Academy, uh, I ran into, uh, I had the privilege actually of my company officer was a guy by the name of Matt Hickey, Lieutenant Matt Hickey. And Matt was the SEAL representative at the Academy. And, and Jeff, he was, he was everything I wanted to be. Right. And he, he kept, he kept coming at me and saying, Hey, Mark, I, I know you want to fly, but I really think you should consider Naval Special Warfare. I think you, you know, you might be pretty good at it. And I was like, no way. Flying jet, sir. No way. Well, your senior year at the Academy, they have service selection night and that's where they call you down from number one to the anchor person. We call it last person in order. Right. And you walk into this room and there are admirals and generals everywhere. And they say, Midshipman McGinnis, what do you select? And you say, Navy pilot right? Or naval special uh, surface warfare out of Yokosuka, Japan, you know, whatever it is, the ship, the sub, the, the, the career choice. And I'm waiting to be called and my door explodes. Like I'm sitting in my room, my door like gets kicked in and it's Matt Hickey and Matt walks in and now Jeff, he's been on me for two years at this point. And he walks in and he goes, what are you going to do? And I said, well, sir, I'm going to service select aviation. And he goes, good. And it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, wait a second. You know, I said, okay. And he said, no, good. I've been thinking about this a lot. And he said, Mark, I've been thinking so much about it. The more I think about it, the more I realize you don't have what it takes and you won't make it through training right there. He owned me. I walked down to that room. (laughs) Seals, watch this. So my dad, Matt Hickey, and, and in an indirect way, Top Gun, right? That's how it all played out. Well, I was going to ask you, did, did Matt Hickey just give your dad a call and said, hey, you got any advice on how I should handle this thing <laughs> probably, with Mark? He probably did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So, so, so now, obviously, Navy SEALs are, are up there. You know, I told you my, my background. My dad is a Marine. My grandfather was a World War II combat uh, medic. Um, Navy SEALs are up there in that echelon of just most admired people, right? Mostly because we, we just, we look at those people and say, man, they, they put it on the line for us out there in places that we don't even know about. Give us a little bit of the anatomy of the DNA of what it takes to, to be a, to be a SEAL, to go through that training process. What was that like for you? Uh, it's, it's, it's arguably the most demanding and challenging military training that exists, Right. Historical attrition rates run at somewhere between 80 and 90%. So eight to nine out of 10 that start, don't finish. Uh, To give you an idea, my class started with 244 um, and only 17 made it through the initial round of training and only 10 went on to ultimately wear the Trident and be SEALs. And that's fairly standard, Jeff. Um, The initial training is BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL, BUDS training. 26 weeks long uh, includes Hell Week, which is the fifth week of training, and people think that's the culmination. It's actually the fifth week, and it just gets worse from there, trust me. (laughs) Um, It's four phases. Uh, Fourth phase is actually the first phase, getting you ready, and then you go through first, second, second phase. First phase is like general. They're breaking you down. Um, You're a new guy kind of thing. Second phase is dive, dive phase where you're learning to be a combat swimmer. Third phase is land warfare tactics phase. You make it through all that. You move on to the next round of training, and it's called uh, SEAL qualification training. It used to be SEAL tactical training when I went through, and they've changed it. Um, and it's about 18 months long. Um, you crawled in in buds, right? You're a baby in your infancy. In SQT, you're learning to walk in our world. Um, 
the pressure goes up, the challenge, the stakes. It's more of a gentleman's course. They're not trying to wash you out at that point. The people that don't make it through SQT are ones that have safety problems, you know, with demolitions or live weapons, that kind of thing. Um, Or they just decide at some point this is really not for them, which is rare at that point. But you go through that 18-month process, and at the end of that, there's a series of written, oral, and practical application boards that you have to pass and then you earn your trident. So it takes about two, two and a half years to create one of me. You know, we can't be created overnight and we can't be created in response to a conflict. It takes years of honing and relentlessly training. And most people think that once you put the trident on, it's all over, right? The, the pin that we wear, you're in, you, you got lifetime membership, you know, um, you've got tenure, if you will. But the, the reality is it just gets harder. I mean, training was nothing compared to uh, what I faced when I actually got to the actual SEAL teams. Wow. Well, let me ask you this question, because I've often wondered this about guys like you. In that two and a half year process for you, what, what, did, what changed about you versus what was revealed to you that was always there? Oh, my God. That's a great question. Um, you know, here's the thing uh, about buds and training. You know, everybody going through has those moments of fight or flight, right? Like, what are you going to do? Here, here you are. Are you going to be able to persevere, take that next step? Or does the immediacy of personal comfort and, and that kind of thing, do I need, I, I'm ringing the bell, I'm out. And everybody deals with that in their own way. Some don't deal with it and, and their flight, you know, they ring the bell, they quit. But if you, if you, if you flip that switch and you fight, that's revealed to you. Right. And, and, and I'd always been one of those that would fight. I mean, played college football, you know, the Naval Academy is not an easy place to be. And and so uh, I was a fighter, but I didn't know the degree to which I could fight. Right. But what I learned most importantly And this, I think, is the greatest lesson that if you're open to it during training, you get. And that is you've got to have an external focus versus an internal focus. And what I mean by that is SEALs care more about their relationships than they do their status. You'll never see a most valuable SEAL. But what you will see is a brotherhood, right, that's maniacally focused on each other put yourself in harm's way so your brothers don't have to kind of thing, sacrifice. And the guys, if you talk to the 10 or 17, you know, that made it through, they'll all say the same thing. And at their moment of weakness, at their moment of fight or flight, somebody cared enough about them and saw them struggling and came over and said, Hey, Jeff, I gotcha. We're going to get through this together. So if I stop throwing my, think about this, right? Think about the world today. If we stop looking internally and focusing on us, right? Me, 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 I, I, I. If we just take a second and think about other people first, how can I help Jeff? How can I help Sally? How can I help Ellen get around, over, or through whatever challenge is facing them? Guess what happens to you? You forget about how cold, how wet, how tired you are, right? All those things. And before you know it, both of you are over or around or through that obstacle. And so that to me was the most powerful thing I learned, right? right? When, when, when I was at my worst, all I had to do was look around me and somebody else had it worse than I did. And if I could figure out how to help them, 
I help myself indirectly. Man, that's so good. And unfortunately, in today's culture, it's almost like there's people trying to force somebody else to ring the bell. Like you're trying to force people out, right? Versus help them along, right? So you both survive. This is about inclusion, not exclusion, right? And that's exactly what it is. And and we just need to take the focus off of us, you know, uh, internal, put that focus external and we'll be so much better. Yeah. And what I love so much about that process, and and I've never obviously gone through it. I've watched shows about it, looked at it, felt like, oh my gosh, I'd probably drown in day one. But the, uh, the, what I love the, what I love the most about it, though, knowing the, the brain, the way that I do is I know how your self-preservation orientation is that, that survival mechanism is so powerful in the human brain to be able to overcome that mechanism and do something that you believe is putting yourself in more danger than it would be if you otherwise left that situation. Being able to overcome that and what you're saying about using someone else to help you overcome it by you helping them overcome it is just, that's brilliant, but you don't think about it because it goes against your biology. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I'll never forget it. Right. Third phase, uh, uh, which land warfare. And by third phase, man, I mean, you talk about you were a, a savage, right? Like in terms of the shape that you're in, right? They can't, the instructors can't hurt you because they can't keep up physically with you. All they try to do is, you know, just keep hammering you, right? We're doing a conditioning run on the beach and every week we run a four mile time, soft sand run in boots and long pants, right? Combat equipment, all that stuff. And the officers are expected to start in the front, right? And finish in the front, set the example. But we're held accountable if if some of our teammates fall behind, we've got to go get them and bring them to the front. And I'll never forget this, right? Like there was a handful of guys that couldn't keep up. And if you couldn't keep up, there was a a line, right? The cutoff. And anybody that came in after that cutoff, they, they put them in the goon squad and they got a little extra loving after the (laughs) run. Right. So, um, you know, it was simple thing. Like guys would fall behind. I would run back. I'd say, grab a hold of my belt buckle and don't let go, you know, the belt loop in the back went, don't let go, just don't let go and come on. And you drag them to the front. Right. And, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn, but what I'm saying is not only did that make me stronger, right. Because I was exerting more effort, more conditioning, all that, but think about the message that it was sending to that teammate, right. I will not leave you. And that's one of the tenets of the SEAL teams is, you know, we've got a proud legacy. No SEALs ever been captured. And no SEAL's ever been left on the field of battle, dead or alive. We always bring you home, right? And that message, I'm never going to leave you, right? Just hold on. I got you. And that's what that's what I'm talking about, that, that let's do this together. Let's figure out. Because if you lose sight of what's important in the long-term goal, that's what BUDS is all about. You set the long-term goal of graduation. But the day-to-day routine gets in the way, right? And you lose sight of the purpose. And that's one of the things I spend a tremendous amount of time coaching my clients about is if we've got a strategic vision, then the tactical decisions and and, um, efforts that we're going to make, right? Tactical actions, we got to make sure that they align and take us to that strategic outcome. And we're going to get lost. We're going to get tired, but we've got to never lose sight of what the goal is. Yeah. And it's those people that, that get lost for a second and, and, and they can't find themselves again, or they can't get their eyes back on that strategic vision or, or end state that they go by the wayside. 
And we touch on something you said, because I, I love this concept is, you know, as a leader, our job is to, you know, to go back and, and grab that person and say, hey, I'm never going to leave you. However, you, you hold on to my belt loop and don't yeah. let go. So there is an accountability there, right? It's not like I'm, you, you didn't go back and carry that person to the front. You went back and you said, I will never leave you, but you got to do your part. You got to hold on. got to do your part. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, um, one of the things that I think is so important of leaders, one of our biggest responsibilities is the development and empowerment of our teammates, right? Our coworkers. Because, you know, like in, in my world, we're rated, right? Team leaders, platoon commanders, we're rated, you know, and they're eight at every team. And it's one of eight, two of eight, three of eight. I never, you know, the performance evaluation system is, is everything because it determines the jobs you get, the promotions, all that. I never, Jeff, I never focused on my performance or my promotions or what I wanted. For me, it was always about how do I help my teammates, those that, that are, I'm working with, how do I help them realize their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, their promotions, their jobs that they want? And if I focused on that and that helped them get to those positions, guess what happened? They drug me along, right? And, and my performance was always at the top. And I was one of eight everywhere I went because I focused on the right things our most valuable asset, and that's our people and the proper development and empowerment of them. But they've got to do their part, right? right. And, and they, that accountability piece is huge, like you talked about. And sometimes teammates just, they need to ring the bell. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a couple of things I always talk to my clients about as leaders. People are really quick to point a finger at the teammate that's struggling, you know, that, that has the poor performance or makes the mistakes, those kinds of things. And I always say, okay, slow down. You know, as a leader, you got to ask yourself some questions first. You know, we talk about, did, did we give clear guidance? Did, did the teammate know exactly what was expected of them? You know, we call that commander's intent. What does good look like? Where do I want you to go? And what does good look like when you get there? And so that was the first question. Was my commander's intent, was my guidance clear? The second one was, did I provide the resources that that teammate needed to be successful? Right. That's huge. That's our responsibility as a leader is to give them the resources. And then everybody needs to be led differently. This idea of one style of leadership that fits everybody or, or the team assimilates to the leader. It doesn't work as leaders. We've got to be chameleons and flexible and we've got to be the leader that the teammate needs versus the leader that I want to be. Right. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So were you there for them? Right. Were you there for them in their moment of need? Did you run back and say, grab a hold of my belt, belt, I'm going to pull you forward. And then um, is our training, right? The training program that we have. Did we train this teammate properly? Or do we need to take a look and revisit our training program, maybe update it? Or lastly, we got the right teammate. We just got assigned in the wrong job, wrong seat on the bus. Right. And maybe yep. we need to make a switch. But, but so many times, because they're our most valuable asset, people are quick to point that finger, quick to sever the relationship. They just don't get it versus, am I failing them as a leader? That's the question. So, so that's really interesting. And I, here's my follow-up question to that, because I've struggled with this sometimes back in my corporate career. And even since I started my company a decade ago, is do you find that sometimes leaders subconsciously, that maybe they haven't defined this, but 
they're not that great as a leader because they feel guilty subconsciously because they know they haven't provided the clear intent. The commander's intent isn't there. The direction isn't there. They haven't resourced. There's something that they know they've done subconsciously. They're missing. So they almost avoid they almost avoid the, the accountability as the leader that they need to have to step into that gap. They won't, they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't, they don't yeah. want to. So here's one of the biggest mistakes leaders make that I see, right? Huge. They get promoted, they get the title, they get the position and they think I've got all the answers when they don't. And they forget that they're human, right? And all the answers that they need are around them. And they, and they just need to empower their teammates, you know, to, to help, them with those. Trust me, man, you think I didn't make mistakes in the SEAL teams? I made them every single day, right? But if I did a really good job of painting a picture, a crystal clear, high definition picture of the end state, where are we going and why, right? My teammates could make up for and, and compensate for the mistakes that I was making on the fly. Trust me, man, when, when, when you're getting shot at, when you're getting shot at, you're not up looking around, evaluating the situation, looking for all the data. You know, you are as low or as hidden as you can get. And your world is about that, you know, my, it's looking through the straw and you're making calls that people's lives depend on. And you might not make the right call, but if the guys, if your teammates know where you're going and what you're trying to do, they can adjust for that on the fly and correct, right? And so many times I see leaders today not willing or not able to do that because here's the thing. When you first enter an organization, Jeff, you know, you're evaluated, you're compensated, all that based on your tactical performance and thinking. What do you have to do day to day? What are the day the day to day skill sets that you've got to be good at? Right, tactical. But as you start to move up in an organization, it's that pyramid, right? The stovepipes, and the higher you go, the more challenging the decisions that you'll make. And conversely, when you look down that pyramid, the more people you'll affect. So as you move up, there has to be a natural transition from tactical thinking and performance to strategic thinking and performance. So think about frontline employees, right? Tactical, middle management. There's a blend because they're interfacing up and down. So there's some strategic, some tactical. And that's really where the transition should happen. And then at the top, it's it's a lot of strategic. There's still some tactical because you got to know what the frontline's doing. But organizations fail to, de- to develop their people and help them progress from tactical to strategic. They don't have the, the training. They don't have the curriculum. They don't have the uh, skill sets in order to do that. And it happens all the time. You see it. What happened to Jeff? He used to be so good at this job. And then he got promoted to manager. And now all of a sudden he wasn't that good. And then he got promoted to VP and he was even worse. And that's because they, they, they can't make that transition. Did you hear? Did you talk to a former boss of mine or something? Because yeah, that sounded just like my. I've done my homework. I, I know. I know all about it. Uh, so, so it's it's tough, right? And and to your point, that's the whole. Like we've got to be there for the people, and we've got to help them do that. But we've got to be humble as leaders and realize that we don't have all the answers, but we've got the resources around us to provide those answers. So, one of my questions I, I was thinking about is for, for you specifically. In, in the military, you've almost got a built-in sense of, of urgency and high level of risk, yeah. right? So you got everyone's attention. If, you don't, if you're not paying attention, 
the consequences of failure are, are usually a little more detrimental than in the business world. Yeah. How, how do you, when you coach executives or leaders today, or even downstream, how, how do you help them create that level of focus and level of urgency without it being kind of this punitive, autocratic style approach of trying to create fear to, to, to focus people like that? How do you create that environment and culture? Well, here's the thing. First of all, you've got to take their focus off themselves, right? And you got to put it on their teammates. Hey, look, if you don't get this right, they suffer. Make sense? Yep. Right. Yep. The other thing is, you know, I get that, Mark. I get it. You, you get shot at for a living and, and it's life and death. So I get that and why it works for you. And I say, well, hold on. If you don't get this right, coach, and you got more L's than W's, what's going to happen? Right? They're going to cordially seek you, invite you to seek opportunities elsewhere. Ring the bell. That's right. <laughs> hey, Mr. CEO, right? If you don't get this right and you've got more quarters with negative gains than positive, right? If you're losing money versus making money, guess what the board, public company, guess what they're going to do, right? Or if it's private, guess what's going to happen to you? And so your business or your sports life is on the line every single day you go out. And it's not a fear thing. It's, it's a, this is reality. This is fact. And if you don't get this right, you're going to lose your tour card and you're not going to play anymore on, 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 you know, in PGA events or LPGA events. If you get this wrong, you're not going to have a company to run anymore. It's going to go away. And so you dispel that right away by just saying, hey, there's a recalibration, right? There's a, I'm going to pull the, the wool over off your eyes because it's been hidden forever. And I'm going to make you look at things differently. Now, I think that the, let's say the leader has that level of focus and energy and attention, but downstream they find that there's apathy. Yeah. And sometimes in organizations, what, what do you, what do you do in that situation? That, that's uh, two things. One, the leader has to set the tone, right? They will, they will emulate the behaviors that, that you have. You know, funny story about that. My team chief one time, Sean Johnson, uh, greatest American I've ever met. We're doing uh, CQB close quarters battle, right? Grade, like uh, direct action training. And it's crazy. Like if, if you saw it from above, it's organized chaos, right? And it happens really fast and you're entering rooms and, but it's very surgical and systematic, right? But to the untrained eye, you wouldn't see that. And I'm flying around, man. I, I'm the platoon commander and I'm kicking doors in and I'm making entry into rooms and the team chief grabs me. Now he's got 20 plus years of experience and he's that guy that says, Hey, hold my beer, watch this. Right. And Sean comes up to me, he goes, Hey boss, you, you got to slow down. He goes, one, if you take, if you take a round in the running lights, we're all done. Right. And two, the more chaotic and crazy you are, the boys are going to magnify that by about a thousand. So you're going to set the tone. Right. So the leader has to set the tone. He, he, I'll never forget. He took my gun out of my hand. He said, if I see you running again, I'm, I'm going to we're going to have a hard conversation. <laughs> and he put one of those old World War II helmets on my head and stuck a cigar in my mouth and said, walk everywhere. Be calm. Right. And so the, the leader has to emulate the behaviors that, that they want the team to to embrace. And two, the leader also has to show that teammate that's, that's, you know, lack of engagement, lack of caring, what's in it for them, right? You, you, there's a great book, Jeff, it called, it's called, it starts with one and it's about change management and the leader, the, the premise is two types of change, proactive, reactive, proactive, you're ahead of the curve, uh, reactive, obviously you're, you're behind, you got to change. 
but the leader, the key is the leader has to paint a clear contrast. The author talks about a contrast of why they need to change. In other words, you got to show them what's in it for them. Why do they want to buy in and get on the bus? And if you can't do that, you'll, you'll never reach them. Yeah. I mean, we all, we talk a lot, a lot about that in our <clears throat> programs that there, there's two ways to think about it. What you stand to lose if you don't change and what you stand to gain if you do. Yeah. And you really do got to paint a complete picture of that because some people aren't motivated by what they stand to gain. No. They really do need to understand what they could possibly stand to lose that was preventing them from accomplishing what they were trying to accomplish to begin with, right? Well, you know, a lot of that is uh, lack of accountability, right? So as it relates to develop and empower, right, and then being accountable or driving accountability across the enterprise, one, you're, you're – probably your performance evaluation system doesn't have a lot of teeth to it. Maybe you don't even have one. I see companies all the time, don't even do it, right? Or if they do it, it's a it's just a pencil exercise and nobody, everybody understands it really doesn't have any bearing. So there's no accountability, there's no teeth to that. And you failed your teams as a leader. And if you don't have that, you can't coach them to see what's in it for them or what's, what's in it for them if they don't change, right? right and lead them down that path one way or the other. And so you, you just have, with no accountability, what happens is performance will sink to the absolute lowest acceptable level. In other words, what's the bare minimum I have to do to keep this job and get a paycheck? And yeah. you ain't getting anything else out of me. And I see so many organizations that are like that. You know, I was talking to one of our executives who's a client, uh, probably two years ago. And it, it dawned on me, something you just said with performance appraisals, performance reviews. And he was saying how some of those people were, they were just so tired of being micromanaged. And I looked at him and I said, has anybody ever complained about being micro coached? And he goes, what, what do you, wait a minute. And you can see where I was going. I said, there's a problem here. And I can tell you what it is. It's the style of which you're leading because if you're feeling micromanaged, nobody's getting coached. And it led to this open, right, really good dialogue around the style of leadership that was happening there and the culture around it. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's so that term manage versus lead. Managers manage things and processes. That's it. Right. Amen. Leaders lead people. Amen. So are you a manager or a leader? And if you're a manager, you don't need people. You need processes and things. Right. right. I want leaders. And that's the big difference. And we could probably just did that question with that answer and made it a whole podcast and just put it on a loop because that's one of the biggest challenges we face, right? What are you? Are you do you call yourself a manager or do you call yourself a leader? Big deal. Yeah, love it. Well, um, in, in our limited time left here, so in a nutshell, because you've got so many great things happening uh, with you've got you got a, a real live SEAL team experience. You've got the SEAL team. Um, you got the you've got the the Joint Force Elite Series. In, in a nutshell, can you can you talk us through a little bit of you know, you and I have talked offline on things. And I love how you've taken the principles and concepts from the SEAL team training, the experience you've had, and you've, you've put it into real simple and easy to understand uh, concepts for business leaders today. We've got it a little bit with commander's intent and things like that, but are there any other key tools in the toolbox that you say, hey, we don't have time to go into it today. We'll, we'll point you to some places you can go get plugged in on it, but here's some concepts that you find work really well in whether it's a business, a family, a sports team. 100%. Uh, so there are three uh, pillars of leadership, right, that, that I think are, are just, they in, indicate just elite level performance, right? And they're central to what we do in the SEAL teams. 
um, we call it shoot, move, and communicate, but I translate it into focus, trust, and communication. And focus is what we talked about earlier, caring for others, an external focus versus an internal focus. I'm tactically and technically proficient at my job, but I care for others more than I care for myself. Trust, it's about moving people together, right? It's about doing the right things when people aren't watching, and, and that's big, right? It's about being the leader that your people need, providing the resources, the accountability, uh, and then communication, our most powerful weapon, understanding that it's got to have cadence and candor. We've got to do it regularly, whether it's scheduled or unscheduled. And when we do it, we got to look each other in the eye and have what we call big boy, big girl conversations, right? And the the we, we wrote a book, uh, my partner and I, uh, who's a Brigadier General in the Air Force F-15 pilot. Uh, only bad thing I'll say about him is he's a, an Air Force Academy graduate. Uh, you know, you can only be so good, right? But he's a Cornell Law grad as well, so big brain. And we, we had this idea of how does the military do this? How does the military take these high-performing teams that don't train together, right, that don't even know each other, send them forward into God knows where to do God knows what and expect them to, uh, uh, to perform at an elite level? 22 football players show up at a stadium today. They've never met. They've never practiced. They're playing a game this afternoon, and it's the Super Bowl. Every night I go out, it's the Super Bowl. And how do we do that, right? So that's the first book. And it's really the foundation of how that works. But the second one, um, which is about three-fourths of the way through, and this is the call series that you're talking about, um, the Joint Force Elite call series. This is really uh, powerful stuff. So I'm a note taker, right? And I, I, I'm trained to see things that people don't see. And when I'm on site with a client, I, I'm constantly writing stuff down. I got about 20 of these notebooks that are sitting across from my desk right now. And, and about a year and a half ago, I was looking at them and I said, you know what, there's some good stuff in there if I just took the time to mine it. And it took me about four months, but I did. And, and what I found were the four common challenges that every organization or team or individual uh, uh, encounters or has, right? What are the most common challenges, right, in the world? All change the names, didn't matter. They're all the same. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's multiple. But then what I found were six leadership traits or characteristics that the most elite level performing individuals or organizations or teams all had in common. So they're not my musings. It's not my thoughts on what elite level leadership is all about. It, this is actual real world client uh, observations and, and behaviors and thoughts that lead to significance. And that's what we're trying to help people uh, accomplish is significance. And you notice I didn't say success, right? Success is an individual characteristic. Significance is an organizational characteristic. And if we can get the organization to be significant, everyone inside that organization is probably su successful, right? And so the call series is really great because it takes those six characteristics and it breaks them down and it teaches you, A, how to understand them, right, which is really important. And then it forces you to be self-critical and self-aware, like self-diagnose your own leadership style or your team or your organization's leadership. Is this missing or are we really good at it? And if it's missing or needs help, here are the tools, the resources that you'll need, a process to bring this to your world and fix it. So we take people through this, right? And it's the 50,000 foot overview. And then I put your boots on the ground and, and you're in the fight. And, and we teach you each one of these tools, how to understand it, how to self-diagnose, how to self-remedy. 
we tell a lot of fun stories along the way, right? We get some SEAL stories. We get some real-world client stories that help illustrate stuff. And, and then we ask you some tough questions to help you start thinking about whether or not you're, you got this down or you don't and, and what help you need. And, and the stuff that people have to understand is this isn't rocket science, right? This isn't complicated. We avoid complexity in the SEAL teams, right? We, we want basic fundamentals, blocking and tackling, right? And so I'm going to give you simple tools that you can put in today and start running. You know, it won't take you long and you'll be running and you'll get lift and performance. And this is not just for businesses, right? This, you do this oh, for sports teams. It's like yeah. any, or anybody that's got an organization where you've got humans. That's right. <laughs> Anywhere. And your family, right? This will make you a better person. This will make you a better friend, father, mother, sister, brother, husband, wife, you know, whatever, friend uh, and professional. Um, but, it, you know, my business is so different. It, my son, it's so funny. He was, he was telling me the other day, he goes, dad, all these people ask me what you do for a living. And I can't answer that question. He's 17 years old, you know, and he's a bright kid, but he's like, I don't get it. Right. How do, what do you do? And we we're on the golf course playing the other day with a, a gentleman we just got paired with. And of course the question came out. So, Mark, what do you do for a living? You know, I started laughing at Kellen. I was like, here we go, buddy. Pay attention. And. You know, I get asked to come in. SEALs don't get invited to parties when things are going well. We get invited to parties when it's gone pretty bad, right? And we want, they want us to fix it. And so the situations that I walk into, one, are usually pretty sensitive, right? And uh, that's why I don't advertise. If you, I'm kind of the whisperer, if you will. If you want me, you got to find me. And that way I know if you found me, there's a reason that you're, you're knocking on my door. And I help people solve problems and look at things in asymmetrical ways, right? Get out of the conventional, stop looking at things through normal lenses, start considering things that you've thought were impossible, right? Or alternatives that you didn't think were possible. And everything that we do is so very simple that I've yet to have a client say, hey, Mark, can you do this? And the answer was no, because it has universal applicability and it's so simple, but extremely effective. So anywhere, anytime, we, we got it. So let's point the guests to where they can find and learn more because um, I mean, this is amazing stuff. I learned a ton already from you. I already knew a lot of this already from, from you and, and others who are around you, your orbit, but this, how do, how do we find more about this? Where do we go? Um, so uh, the easiest way is to find me is through email. That's simple. SealLeadership at gmail.com. If, if you got a question, SealLeadership at gmail.com, right? You can find me there. Um, you know, Craig Lucas, you know him very well. You can find uh, a lot of this stuff on his web, website, Authentica.com. Authentica.com. A-U-T-H. I don't spell very well. E-N-I-C-A. Not Authentica. It's Authentica. On the cut, right? Dot com. And these links will all be on the on the pages for you guys that are listening. You can go in there and find that. And your books, can we can we get your books? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, absolutely. Uh, the one thing we haven't touched on that I have to is you know, the my foundation, uh, SEAL Legacy Foundation. You teed it up earlier, uh, Jeff. It's the most rewarding job I've ever had that I don't want, right? I don't want there to be a need, but as long as there is, we'll be around. Uh, we're going into our 10th year. We're founded by SEALs. We're run by SEALs for the SEAL community. We take care of our fallen and wounded SEAL families. Uh, since 9-11, we've lost over 115 SEALs, and we've got you know, close to 100 kids that don't have dads anymore. Mm. We do four things. Uh, educational scholarships. We give out over 51 college scholarships every year uh, to our SEAL kids and, and widows. 
we do general grants for quality of life stuff, home mortgages, uh, converting homes to handicap accessible, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, just trying to provide some financial stability in the most challenging time. We have our guardian program, which is a really, I think it makes us unique as a foundation. It's not necessarily financial support. It could be, but it's more about access and relationships. So our guardians are influential individuals, associations, groups, companies that we can leverage when there's a need, they can pull a lever and make something happen that typically didn't or wouldn't. Right. right? And then lastly, we've got a phenomenal partnership. The Achilles heel is SEAL teams for you know 20 years of sustained combat at this point is the fallout of post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, substance abuse issues. And we went on a search uh, four years ago to find the world's you know, leading authority on treating those issues. And we found it, it's at Mass General Harvard in Boston, a program called Home Base. And we partner with the Boston Red Sox Foundation and Home Base and provide their operate, annual operating budget. And because of our support of uh, Home Base, all SEALs, current, uh, active, retired, reserve, or former can go seek help for free. Wow. For free, right? Not only is this life changing, but it is life saving. Uh, it is hands down. It's the most, we've raised over $15 million in uh, 10 years and we've given out over 13 million of that. We don't sit on money. Uh, Ernst and Young as a uh, uh, validated the claim or our, our stance 94 cents on the dollar goes to the bottom line. We don't sit on it and we're great stewards of money. Um, GuideStar is the largest independent evaluator or arbiter of benevolence. They evaluate over 1.8 million benevolent agencies or organizations a year. You don't know they're looking at you. Most of those ratings that you see people pay for, you know, but with GuideStar, they do it independently. And for the past two years, we've gotten their highest award for fiscal transparency, the Platinum Award. So if you decide to partner with us and share your gifts, you can rest assured that your money is going to go to action and it's going to go where it's intended. So that's to make a difference in somebody's life. And this is just, uh, you know, as you were describing what you guys are doing through the SEAL Legacy Foundation, you know what it is, Mark? It's, it's people running back and saying, grab a hold of my belt. That's exactly right. So that legacy that I talk about where we've never left anybody on the battlefield, right? Our whole thing yeah. is uh, no one left behind. That's our tagline. And we want to extend that proud legacies to our families, right? And make sure yeah. that they understand in their worst of times, right? In the loss of a loved one, that they will not be left behind. They will not be forgotten. We, we will be there for you every step of the way. And, and it, it is... I tell you, man, it, it has been so cathartic for me. Uh, it's the ultimate, I think, external focus, right? I mean, I'm seeing the worst. You know, people aren't coming to me when the party's good. They're coming right. to me when the party's bad and they need help. And we've got a phenomenal organization that is changing lives. And if you, we say we run to the sound of guns in the SEAL teams, right? If, if we hear gunfire, that's where we're going. Well, we're running to the sound of cries for help. Yeah. And when we hear that, we're, we're, we'll be there and we'll do what it takes. And so to, to the people that are listening to this podcast that, that, that want to get involved, you know, um, I, I say this to everybody. It's not about being able to write the biggest check, the million dollars, the whatever, you know, it's about doing what you can with what you have in the time that you're given. Right. 
and everything makes a difference. You know, everything makes a difference. So it's what you can with what you have and the time that you're given. And if you want to stand with this brotherhood and say that we got you, right, because you had us for so long, come on, we got you. www.seallegacy.org, seallegacy.org. You can find out all about us. Yeah, I encourage everybody to go there and, and like you said, do what you can with what you have. And Mark, I can't thank you enough, not only for your service as a Navy SEAL for our country, but your continued service, not just for what you're doing with businesses and leaders and coaches, because it's having a ripple effect, but things like SEAL Legacy. I mean, uh, all of us, I think, are so much better together, as you said, in the team environment, but we need leadership like like you're providing for people to know where to go and what to do and how to do it. And so I, I just can't thank you enough. I admire you. I appreciate you. And I know that people took a lot away from today. I know I did. Uh, you're welcome back on the Driving Change Podcast anytime you want to be here, brother. Thank you. You know, I appreciate the time. Um, awareness is our biggest challenge, right? Because we're a very humble, very quiet community. And so you affording me the opportunity to come on and share a little bit with your uh, your audience, huge. Oh, you one, buddy. Uh, God bless you, brother. And thank you. We really appreciate it. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.